You are listening to an Awkward Human podcast. For more information on this podcast or all of our shows, visit awkwardhuman.com slash shows. Hey everyone, welcome back to an all new episode. My name is Richard Cardenas and you are listening to a, a, a sort of new revamped show. It's not, it's not completely different, but it's different. Basically, if you guys haven't noticed, I've changed the name of the show and Rocco's kind of jumping around in here. Sorry about that. But I've changed the name of the show recently to just interview with a nerd because what I realized is that I have so many things I love and that I want to talk about and what better way to do it than on the podcast, right? Um, so what I'm going to be doing now is inviting uh, many different people onto the show to talk about all things that are considered nerdy, I guess. Anything that people are passionate about and love to talk about. I want to talk to creators. I want to talk to everyone um, about about the stuff that they love so much that like I said, is considered nerdy. And um, yeah, so there's going to be a little bit of a change to the show. I still am going to uh, do the interviews where I ask people to talk about one comic book character and and divulge their entire history and everything. Uh, I'm still going to be doing that. They're just going to be uh, in, in, intermingled with all the other stuff that I want to do. Uh, the podcast is ever-changing. <laughs> it definitely isn't what it was when it first started. Remember when I was, like, somber and <laughs> calm and and I didn't really, like, show much personality in those first two or three episodes? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know why I'm saying that. But basically, the, the podcast is changing just a little bit. Um, only because, like I said, I have so many interests out there and I want to talk to all these amazing people that I, you know, come across either in person or online through me, you know, consuming their art, um, what they do. And so this is the first episode that is going to explore that. Um, I am going to continue doing my recaps at the top of the show. Uh, so that is not going away. I'm still going to be talking news and all that stuff. I'll just open it up a little bit more. And I've always talked about other stuff other than comic books. You know that every time I recommend something, it has nothing to do with comic books. Not every time, but a lot of the times. So, uh, yeah, um, it's still the tone of the show is still going to be the same, uh, but, you know, just just different content. And I hope you guys enjoy what it is because I'm really excited to do it and put it out there for you uh, to listen to. So anyway, yeah, the show is now called Interview with a Nerd. We've dropped a comic book, but we're not dropping comic books. Yeah, but anyway, um, how was everyone's Thanksgiving weekend? I had a good time. I actually went to Minnesota uh, with Adam's family. For those of you who don't know, Adam's my boyfriend. We've been together for five years. Uh, so we we visited his family in Minnesota. The dog is going insane. I don't know why he's so hyper right now. He's just click clacking away. I don't think you guys can hear that. I just keep mentioning it. Um, but anyway, I went to Minnesota. It was a good time. It's cold there, but it wasn't actually too bad. Um, so yeah, it was a good it was a good time. I've been very busy, you guys. Uh, traveling and then I was I got really sick like disgusting sick um, right before the flight back to LA um, I have no idea what happened I think it's because I didn't have caffeine for two days uh, his, his we were staying with his mom and his mom doesn't drink coffee and I do and I I'm I'm kind of weird I don't understand why I'm like this but I tend to stay very quiet with with people that I am not like 
I'm super familiar with her, but I, I, I don't know. It's, it's still one of those things where it's like, I'm not going to be rude and just like intrude and do my thing, you know? So I didn't bother making coffee. I didn't ask if there could be coffee to be made and she doesn't drink coffee. Nobody in the household drinks coffee. Uh, they have coffee, but, but there was, there was none. And so I didn't make it. I didn't ask for it to be made. And so then I just suffered and I, and I had a huge, huge headache from the caffeine withdrawals because if you don't know, I drink coffee every single day, uh, up to two cups a day, which is probably not great, but you know what? I'm an addict and I, (laughs) I will admit it. Um, so anyway, there was no caffeine. I had a huge headache and then, uh, uh, she's a a crazy driver, I would say. <laughs> so when we were on the way to the airport, uh, I got very car sick, which is not usual for me. So that was strange, but I got very car sick, very nauseous. Um, everything was so warm. I, and then it didn't help that I didn't really eat that day either. Uh, so I don't know. I, I was a mess. I don't know why I'm telling you guys this. Uh, j- you know, just welcome to my life. <laughs> so anyway, I hope you guys had a good holiday weekend. Um, Mine was, it was okay. It was not bad. A lot of traveling though. So anyway, we're back. We're on the show. Let's get into our first recap or our only recap really. Uh, So this one I'm doing is, you guys have heard me talk about this a little bit. It's Quince. Um, This, okay. So Sebastian Kadlecik is the creator of this comic book and he was on the episode Penguins vs. Possums where we talked to him about his uh, that comic book series with John Bring and Lindsay Bring. Um, he created this comic book, and I could be completely wrong, but um, I believe he created this comic book because one day he decided there aren't any superheroes that my nieces uh, can can look at right now that are like them. And um, I don't know what what uh, what country or or anything that he's from. I mean, I think he's born in the United States, but uh, his heritage, I don't know what that is. I do know he's that I do know that he's Latino. And um, so he he was like, I want to create a comic book for my for for the little girls out there. And so he created this comic book, Quince, about a, a girl who turns 15 and gets superpowers for a year. Uh, but he didn't want to write it because he wanted it to come from a female's point of view. So um, I don't know the logistics of it, but basically he got two females on the book or two women on the book. He got uh, uh, sisters to write and do the art. And um, I'm almost done with the series and I am really enjoying it. It's it's very refreshing uh, because I see a lot of my family in in this book. I see a lot of the way I grew up. So it's really nice to see. But anyway, I'm going to recap it now. So this series, Quince, this is number one, created by Sebastian Kedlecik, written by Kit Steinkeldner and art by her sister, Emma Steinkeldner. All right. So we open up on Lupe. She's at school. She's walking to class and there are these kids calling to her about like how excited they are to go to her quinceanera. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, I think we've talked about it in the past, but quinceanera is basically like a, I don't actually know who celebrates it. I know Mexicans for sure celebrate it. A lot of Latin cultures celebrate it. Um, it's like this coming of age for women when they turn 15. It's it's from going from a child to a woman. Uh, and there's a big ceremony. Usually the church is involved. Um, it's, it's huge. And it's like a mini wedding. There's a big fluffy dress it used to always be white but i think nowadays um they do them in all colors whatever color the, uh the person the quinceanera wants it to be but anyway 
That's a quinceanera. Um, so she's thinking to herself that right now everyone is paying attention to her because she's got this huge party and everyone is excited to go. But once it's over, she thinks that her life is going to go back to normal and that no one's really going to care and no one's going to pay attention to her. So she's kind of in this weird moment with with herself where she just feels like it doesn't really matter or like, I don't know, that she has to kind of take it in right now because it's just going to be gone anyway, uh, which is, you know, high school. Uh, so she goes home and she starts telling the reader that she's this nerdy girl. She loves watching Buffy and superheroes. Even though they're all white characters, she still loves it. So um, we get introduced to her family, which are kind of your typical family. You've got the like nagging but loving mother, the embarrassing dad, the hot older brother, Carlos, and the younger sister, Sophia, who looks up to Lupus so much. Then we're introduced to her grandmother, Emma, who is like every Latinx grandmother ever. She <laughs> loves Lupus so much and like just fills her with encouragement. She tells Lupe that she's finishing or that she has just finished making her quinceanera dress. And so they basically go sneak away from the family so that Lupe can try it on. They have this really nice moment where Lupe tells her grandma that the dress she make, um, it like it makes her feel like the president of the United States and the queen of England, like all wrapped into one. And I really like that because she doesn't say that it makes her feel like a princess or that it makes her feel like a pretty girl or, or anything. She's talking about like a powerful position, you know? I mean, granted the queen of England is kind of just like a title now, <laughs> but um, like she says that it makes her feel like the president of the United States, which is, you know, pretty awesome. Um, so anyway, uh, she starts to cry because she loves this dress so much and she loves her grandma and they like hug and everything. It's a very sweet moment. Um, her grandmother starts telling her that her quince will change her, that, that she will need to take on more responsibilities. And Lupe kind of dismisses her and she's like, okay, uncle Ben, you know, doing a Spider-Man reference. Um, then we cut to her freaking out in the bathroom. And this is the night of her quinceanera. The celebration is becoming everything that she ever wanted it to be. And it's for whatever reason, freaking her out. Um, she starts having like an anxiety attack and all of a sudden her hands begin lighting up. And the next thing you know, she somehow has blown up the bathroom. It's completely destroyed. And the issue ends with her saying, I wish I had found out I had superpowers in a cool way, like saving a bus full of hot guys from my school from careening off a cliff. But no, I had to go explode a bathroom. I can't even with my life, you guys. So it's a very uh, quick read. Um, each issue is a really quick read. I have the trade paperback. There are 15 issues in it. Um, it's been a an actual joy to read. It's very refreshing um, to have this like little Latina girl uh, who is, you know, as some would describe a full figured woman. Um, you know, she's not super thin or anything. And there's actually like a moment in, in the book later on in the series where, uh, someone is some very thin girl is making fun of her for whatever reason. And, you know, one of the guys that Lupe has a crush on comes to her defense, basically saying like, uh, if, if, if being skinny makes you like so pretty and smart and blah, blah, blah. Like what happened to you? Like, it doesn't mean anything. I'm butchering what, <laughs> what is actually the case of the book, but basically that's what happens. Um, so it's kind of great. It's very uh, positive. Uh, it's very non-body shaming. It's, it's, very, uh, it's a very real look at 
kind of what uh, teenagers go through, what people go through. I love that they included this this panic attack that she has over something that she should be, you know, typically celebrating, you know, like it's a quinceanera, it's her big day and it's all about her and she's having a panic attack over it, which is very relatable. Um, and I, I love that. What I, what I also, and what I've said in the past on this show is that I love that the writer really nails down kind of like your modern teenager. I mean, I'm not a modern teenager, obviously, <laughs> but uh, I really like the voice that she gives Lupe. It, it feels very authentic. And yeah, so if you have a chance, the it's published by Fanbase Press. Um, go online and, and, and buy it. It's like 25 bucks. It's, it's super inexpensive, in my opinion. And um, it, it's... A great series and you know what if if you have little girls in your life that uh might be interested in comics but haven't really picked anything up because they don't feel like they relate to anything pick this book up because it's it's really good uh anyway so that's the recap uh i did that one because it, it is a shorter <laughs> recap and there's a lot to talk about so i'm gonna try to breeze through it um so most of the, my news is comic book news so anyway here we go. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to talk about is X-Men Red. Okay, so this is big news. There's a new book, a uh, new X-Men book coming out, and uh, it's called X-Men Red and will be written by one of my favorite writers, Tom Taylor. He writes all new Wolverine, Injustice. He has a show called The Deep. It's an animated show. You can binge it on uh, Netflix right now. But this book will be drawn by uh, Mahmoud Asrar. Uh, I probably butchered that name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> who has worked on um, various X-Men books, including all new X-Men, Wolverine and the X-Men. He's also drawn for DC and Image and many other publishers. The cover artist is Travis Charest, uh, who has also worked on various books by Marvel and DC, including X-Men and Batman titles. So this book is going to focus on a team led by the, re, uh, the resurrected Jean Grey, the OG Jean Grey. The X-Men Red roster includes Gentle. Uh, he's a mutant from Wakanda. I don't know anything about him, but he's large and he looks cool. Uh, we've got Namor, who I like, but I was kind of hoping that it was North Star. So basically when they had this reveal, they just had like silhouettes of the characters and then they revealed them like every hour or whatever. They revealed two new characters. And at first it looked like it could have been North Star, but it wasn't. It was Namor. Oh, well. Uh, then we've got Gabby and Laura. Um, which is weird because they are both in the all-new Wolverine um, series. Uh, Tom Taylor has indicated that the book is going nowhere. I guess my fear is that it is going back to the resurrected Wolverine. And I really hope not because right now it's my favorite book. Uh, but anyway, we've got Nightcrawler on the team and we all know who he is. And then there's this new mutant named Trinary. Not much is known about her right now, but she looks really cool. And I believe it's been stated that she is of Indian descent. So that's really great. Um, and of course, the team will be led by the resurrected OG Jean Grey. Um, I'm super excited for this book. I love the way Tom Taylor writes character dynamics. He really knows comedy. And I feel like he writes really strong female characters. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, what what are your thoughts on this? Um, is this something that you guys are going to be picking up? If not, um, why? <laughs> um, anyway, speaking of Wolverine, uh, so we all know that in Marvel, well, not all of us, but anyway, so in Marvel Legacy number one, Wolverine was brought back to life. Uh, 
but we don't really know why or how or what. <laughs> so Marvel has announced that they are going to be showing what Wolverine has been up to in a sort of post-credits way. Um, across three different books, we will see basically what he's been doing from Marvel Legacy number one up until this point. Um, so if you want to check that out, you'll have to get those books or I guess search the web after they come out. Maybe they'll, the panels will be online somewhere. But basically the books are Captain America number 697, Mighty Thor number 703, and Amazing Spider-Man number 794. So it sounds like it's going to be more about where he currently is. And uh, I don't know if there'll be a why he's back, but I don't know. Uh, I guess they can, you know, later say it was just him healing. I, I guess. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this Wolverine coming back? Um, all right. So now we're off to movie news. I'm sorry. I'm like really rushing through this, but uh, this is so much. Uh, I have just a few more things. Um, so movie news. So Fox announced a multiple man, multiple man movie starring James Franco. For those who are unfamiliar, multiple man is a mutant named Jamie Madrox. He's able to duplicate himself. I could be wrong, but I think he mostly uses his ability to like gain intel for missions uh, because when he absorbs the duplicates, he gains all of their memories. Um, so there are times where he's sent to like different times or time periods or different universes and he could come back with all this information. I don't know him very well, but I know he's kind of an important character in the X-Men universe. Uh, at least he's had some important stuff to do in the X-Men universe in the past. Um, I believe Johnny Knoxville played him in X-Men The Last Stand. Um, so they've got the Wonder Woman writer on this, Alan Heinberg. Uh, he's also written on shows like The Catch, Grey's Anatomy, Sex and the City, The O.C., and Party of Five. Um, they haven't really released any other details, but I think this could be an interesting movie. When Jamie creates the duplicates, he can't really control them. They become their own sentient beings and sometimes live entire lives without ever coming back to him. And there are many times where there's confusion about whether he's the original or not. Um, I think if a duplicate dies, he absorbs their memories, even the memory of their death. So that kind of fucks with him. I don't see this being a superhero, big blast kind of movie. Um, but more of a spy, espionage, mystery, suspense kind of movie, it would definitely keep in line with the change of tones that Fox has been going with. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> that's that's maybe my newbie brain thinking. Um, I do know that recently it was announced that it was going to also probably be rated R. So, you know, there's that. Um, but what do you guys think? Are you excited to see a solo multiple man movie? Which other characters would you like to see involved? Maybe a cameo of Moira McTaggart, maybe? Mm, I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. Um, all right. So the next thing I'll talk about is very quickly, I'll talk about Justice League, uh, the movie that came out um, a couple weeks ago. It, it didn't do its best. Uh, it still got huge numbers. But I, I don't I don't know if it's uh, surpassed its budget yet. Uh, so I don't know. But anyway, um, you guys, I actually really enjoyed this movie. And I think probably most of you have seen it at this point and can come up with your own ideas of how you felt about it. But I enjoyed the movie. I didn't think it was horrible. 
um, obviously it wasn't the best thing, but it was entertaining. So, you know, that's great. One of the things um, actually that I talk about in the interview with uh, Lauren, did I mention that Lauren's on the interview? <laughs> Lauren Shippen, I'll mention it again. But um, one of the things that we talked about is uh, she mentioned the way she, she uh, you know, consumes entertainment, watching movies and stuff. Uh, it's it's much more for her than it is for me because she's looking for strong female characters. Uh, not necessarily, she didn't say this, but maybe I can interpret it in my mind that they don't have to be, you know, like always out there kicking ass, but that they're fully fledged uh, characters, that they're not just there to serve a purpose for the man. Uh, and and I, I talk a little bit about how I am trying to 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 kind of look into that a little bit more when I'm watching movies because I don't know it, it's it <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting so tongue-tied um I I don't know what it is but it's a, it's never been easy for me to take a movie watch it and really dissect it uh I usually when I watch movies or TV or anything I just kind of watch it for the entertainment value um because it's kind of like a distraction from everything else that goes on and 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 maybe I need to not do that so much and really like take into consideration what the story is telling, what the characters are going through. Like I do like to engulf myself in the universe that is created uh, and I get really uh, enveloped in the story, but I rarely will kind of dissect the uh, who these characters are and, and what the story is saying. So a lot of the times I miss the bigger picture, which is not great. Um, but anyway... I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, this movie was fun. Um, go watch it if you want. You don't have to, but, it, it, you know, I didn't hate it. I, I really actually enjoyed it. I think it was a good turn for the DC uh, EU right now. Um, it was a really good turn that they needed. Hopefully they can continue it with, you know, Aquaman and all the other movies that they're planning because Lord knows they have plans for like 20,000 movies to come out in the next 10 years. Uh, all right what are your thoughts um the last thing that i'm going to talk about is the avengers infinity war trailer which dropped uh dropped today early this morning um so the trailer you know it, it uh, okay here's what i will say i had a smile on my face the entire way through um it's interesting because if i take a step back i feel like it's another trailer for an action movie with some weird shit happening like i don't feel like alone without the Avengers, without the history that it's anything. But when you take into consideration that we've been following this story for a decade and it's all coming to a head next year, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I equate it to how I feel or how I felt when I watched the first trailer for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows part one. That's another story that many people followed for years and it was the beginning of the end. Um, this morning watching this trailer, I was so grateful that I could experience that I could experience it happening like that. It's happening. <laughs> I can experience it as it happens is what I'm trying to say. Um, as for longtime Marvel fans, I can only imagine how much more emotional it was for them. I feel like this is going to be insane. There are there. It, it's, it's insane. I, I don't know really what other ways to describe it. it it's insane. Um, watching the trailer, it, like I said, I had a smile on my face. I had uh, uh, my eyes were tearing up. It, it's it's huge. It's been a long time coming. It's here. <laughs> it's it, the trailer is here. The movie is almost here. We've got Black Panther in February. We've got this movie Avengers Infinity War in May. 
what a time to be alive <laughs> um how do you guys feel about it uh it, it's it's always fun watching reaction trailers, especially to something like this, because you see the fans really, really taking it in and, and appreciating it and being very emotional. And it just makes me happy. I'm getting like a little teary eyed right now thinking about it, not thinking about the trailer, but thinking about how happy it makes people. Um, in 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 the t- a lot of for a lot of people right now these are dark times and um you know for some they're not and <laughs> for those who feel that these are dark times and sometimes can feel like the world is really really shitty um it's it's stuff like this that makes me so happy um because ultimately i i want everyone to be happy i know that sounds stupid or or cliche but it's true you know i i want the world to be to be a good place to be a happy place um and it makes me happy to see see people happy. And if things like this can make us happy for just a moment, I I gladly welcome them. All right. That's enough for that. What did you guys think about the trailer? Um, that's enough about that. So uh, next is the interview. Uh, uh, I am sorry I took so much time to get here, but there was so much I wanted to talk about. Um, so this interview is with Lauren Shippen. She's the creator of The Bright Sessions. She is one of Forbes 30 under 30 in media for the class of 2018. I think this is, she's an amazing person. I've been wanting to talk to her for a long time. I just never had the courage to actually approach her to to do it. And I finally sent her a message and was like, Hey, please be on my show. And she was like, graciously said yes. Um, So it, it, I'm so glad that she was here. This was an amazing, so much fun conversation. Um, you guys know that I've talked about the Bright Sessions in the past and how much I love it. And we really get to dive into to some of what what drives the characters, uh, you know, mental issues or um, just a, a lot of a lot of what the show is about. We we really dive into and we also get to learn a little bit about Lauren, uh, who she is, uh, what, what she's into and, and how fantasy kind of informed her uh, creativity and stuff. So without further ado, uh, let's hear from someone who is much, much better (laughs) spoken than I am. This is Lauren Chippen. Okay, we're started. Okay. Hi, Lauren. Hello. Everyone, welcome uh, Lauren Chippen to the show. Um, Yeah, there's no audience, so they can't can't really welcome you. They're out in the virtual world. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah. um, So I got to say, I'm a huge fan of your show, The Bright Sessions. Um, I came across it because one of our mutual friends, uh, Megan, yes. had talked about it. And I was like, well, I got to got to find out what she this is. She is the best, <laughs> uh, both the best person and also like one of the best advocates for the show. It's amazing. <laughs> She's gotten a lot of her friends onto it, which is awesome. <laughs> which is great. Uh, when I first started listening to it, I was like, oh, this is interesting. I didn't think I was going to get so invested <laughs> in it. It kind of like took over my mental like, oh, that's so life for, for, for a while. Because um, I, I just I first started listening to it probably about like five months ago or okay. so. And so I binged throughout the, the you know, the whole thing. And then Amazing. when I had to take a break because you guys weren't doing anything new yet, yes. <laughs> the season hadn't returned. I was like, when is it coming back? I need this. Um, okay. So yeah, that's me gushing that's, over you. Oh, that's so, that's so nice to hear. I really, really appreciate that. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about you. So sure. the first thing I want to talk about is kind of like, what are you into right now? What do you, mm. what do you like? 
binging or reading or whatever? Um, okay, so what have, what have I been binging recently? I've been going through a bunch of like Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. So I just finished American Vandal, which I loved <laughs> because obviously I'm really into podcasts in general. You know, I make a podcast as sort of my whole life. And I really love true tr- true crime documentary podcasts, mm-hmm. also like true crime docu- uh, documentaries, TV shows. And American Vandal is like a comedy spoof of right. that genre. And it's it's such an amazing, they walk such an amazing line where the the mystery is so stupid. It's it's about <laughs> this guy who, or it's, it's about um, this school in California where somebody drew um, 26 or 27 dicks on 27 teachers' cars. <laughs> yeah. And it's all about like who did this. And this one kid gets accused and suspended and or he gets expelled. And I cared about the dumb mystery <laughs> <laughs> while also really appreciating the spoof of it. I mean, that's I any kind of um, leaning into like a really specific genre. If mm-hmm. it's done really well and it's done lovingly, I think can be really, really wonderful. Um, and I love crime and mystery stuff. Mm. That's always a big thing for me. Were you into uh, making a murderer and all that kind of stuff? I actually d- couldn't get into that one for some reason. Same. Yeah, <laughs> Same. I don't know what it was. I watched the first two episodes and was like, this just isn't gripping me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... Just a couple weeks ago, listened to Dirty John, the podcast that like the LA Times did with Wondery, which is about this really like interesting sort of serial gold dinging man, essentially. Hmm. Um, and it has a really sort of surprising twist ending, and it's an entirely true story. It's fascinating. Um, and I also just love sort of classic mystery. Like I was a big Sherlock Holmes fan, hmm. Agatha Christie, all of that kind of stuff. Veronica Mars was one of my sort of first major fandoms in high school. Yeah, that's um, a good one to get a yeah, part of. It's the best. I love that show so much. That's still a show that I'll go back and like watch the whole first season just, you know, in, mm-hmm. in like a week because it's just such a good tight mystery and tight character and there's a great ship in it. And it's just it's everything that I want in a TV show. Did you hear that they're possibly bringing it back? I did, and I feel sort of <laughs> on the fence about it because uh-huh. I actually loved the movie, um, and I, you know, I backed the Kickstarter and everything, and was super excited about it and had a really good time, and that was to me like a great tying up of mm-hmm. the story, and I don't necessarily want more. Right. I kind of, I don't know. It, it's hard because there are certain things where I feel like, okay, yes, I'll live in this world forever, like Harry Potter, like any kind of Harry Potter content that comes out. I'm just happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are other ones where I, I sort of just want to let it, let it go. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be done, and I want right. to have that thing be by itself. Um, oh, that's the thing that I just started um, this weekend. I finally had a had a chance to like sit down and start it, which is the Book of Dust, which is a thing that. I'm glad it has come back. But uh, oh, Philip Phil Pullman. Pullman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. His Dark Material series is probably the most formative series of my life. Like mm-hmm. I, I read them. Um, obviously, you know, Harry Potter is a huge, huge thing in right. my life. But his Dark Materials, I think, affected my psyche and like <laughs> what I look for in media in a deeper way than anything else. Um, those three books ruined me. The end of the third <laughs> book is still, I think the most heartbroken I've ever been in any media ever. Oh. So I've been waiting for this book for 15 years <laughs> and it's finally out. And I haven't, I got it a month ago on the day it came out and I haven't been able to bring myself to read it. Cause oh, I'm like no. not emotionally uh-huh. ready to dive back into that world, right. but I finally started it and it's great. And, uh, but that'll be probably my obsession for the, for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, um, the first time I came across that series was with the movie uh, with oh, uh, no. Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember seeing it and I was like, okay, I'm into this. And then I started reading the books and I was like, wait, this is so much better. This is so much better. <laughs> and the movie is so frustrating to me because it's like the casting was perfect. Nicole yes. Kidman and Daniel Craig yes. as, um, as uh, those characters was so perfect. And the girl who played Lyra was amazing. And the the design, the production design was gorgeous. Like they nailed the world. They got the bears, the armored bears right but they were trying to make a kid's movie and yeah. it's just not a kid's book. It's and they, not... they changed the ending, you know, in the end of the spoiler for anybody who hasn't read Golden Compass. In the end of the book, the, her friend, you've read it, right? Like, yes. Her friend dies and it's really horribly tragic and she's going off into this world where she doesn't know anybody and it's scary. Mm-hmm. And they tried to make the end of the first movie hopeful and they didn't even get to make more movies because the first one bombed so right. bad. And I just, that to me read as they just didn't understand the story that they were telling. Yeah. And it's too bad because all of the elements really worked and the just the script wasn't there at all. Yeah, it, it's such a fascinating story. Like I never, okay, so this I guess is kind of like a YA type of uh, a, a series. Yeah. But when I read it, I was like, this is so mature. It's like, so mature. Like the material in it, uh, for those of you who haven't read it, please read it. Yes, it's <laughs> some of the greatest, oh, just the best. <laughs> it's, it, I was obsessed with it. Yep. And and just like uh, me, like when I, when I look at like my fantasy stuff, like I really like, my fantasy to go for it and mm-hmm. I felt like this series really went for it yeah. and like wanted to tell you something and then like involved like you know demons and all that kind of stuff like the companions and everything which I absolutely love oh god I love demons <laughs> so uh, what I, would your demon be if you had one? oh my god okay so I feel like it probably would be like a like a either something cat okay other like a, a panther or something like that something yeah a big cat or it would have to be like a small, cute creature, like what she had, like that ferret or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, one. it'd have to. Well, what would yours be? Um, I think it'd be. A, I think it would be some sort of bird. Like I would. Lo- mm. I would love like sort of like a small, like either like a merlin or like a small falcon. I think mm-hmm. that would be something that you know can can fly and then like sit on my shoulder and be close to me or far away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think because I was witch. so obsessed with the witches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, to explain, the demons in his dark materials are these. They're sort of like witch familiars, except it's basically a piece of your soul that outside of your body mm-hmm. um and is represented as an animal and it's just such an interesting bit of lore that he created yeah. with that because it's inspired by so many different things i think but i've never encountered something quite like that yeah um, there's this moment i think it's in the second book where they have to like travel on a boat away from their their demons yeah to, oh like... that's in the third one. Oh, is it in the third yeah, when they okay. go into the into the um underworld basically yeah, yeah and they have to like leave their demons behind and that is <sighs> so i'm like spoilers everywhere that is so heartbreaking it's because heartbreaking. They, they, he talks about how they can hear their howls like as they're leaving them and yeah. like they can feel the bond like basically breaking and it's just like oh no <laughs> it's it's tragic and then sort of their the like tentative making up after they get out of of the underworld mm-hmm. and their, their demons are sort of following them around like not sure if they can trust them right. again and then yeah I mean that's I actually am sort of halfway through the Amber Spyglass right now because I was rereading the series before mm-hmm. Book of Dust came out and then I it came out and I was just too excited to uh to keep reading Amber Spyglass and also I stopped at the point in the Amber Spyglass where Will and Lyra finally kind of like realize their feelings for each other and have that beautiful moment. And I'm like, you know what? I need to step away <laughs> because I know what's coming. And I remember the first time I, I read the end of, of book of the third book. Um, I just I was 14 or 15 and I just like wandered around the house for days oh, despondent because no. I couldn't. Um, no one dies. And it's so much worse than if one of them had died yeah. somehow. Yeah. No, it is because it's like they have to exist without each other. Yes. And it's like, 
and they make this sacrifice for the greater world. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh my God, it's so, (laughs) and the way that, that Philip Pullman describes emotional pain is so beautiful and poignant. Um, yeah, it's just, if you want to just be destroyed by a book series, <laughs> definitely read historic materials. Yeah, like, even though we spoiled some things, it's so much it's more so than what it. we talked about. Yeah, because it, it's, it's all so about good. the journey, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, did you ever read the, like, miniseries that he did, like, Lyra's Adventures? Lyra's and- Oxford, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, um, oh, what's the other one? It's Lee Scoresby, right, is the other little book. I don't remember. I never got into those. Okay, yes. Yeah. I've read everything basically okay. that has published. <laughs> um, is yeah. the new uh, series, is it another like three-parter? No, I'm it's going to be too a two-part. Okay. So it's called um, Book of Dust. And then the first one is La Belle Sauvage. It's And it takes place sort of before Lyra was born. So it's okay. kind of about her as like an infant. Um, where it's about the people around her you know, as she's an infant. And then I... I I gather at some point it jumps ahead or in the second book, you know, we sort of get her now essentially. Mm-hmm. So after she's, you know, an, an adult and has been working to learn, relearn the Aletheia meter and all that kind of stuff. Um, I really just need to know if Will is okay. <laughs> like, I really need to know that he's happy and that he's stable and that his mom is okay. Is your wish kind of that they'll like somehow end up back together? I mean, or? they can't possibly, right? Like I've sort of resigned myself to the fact that they're going to be apart forever, but obviously, yes, that is my dream. But really just like, it's so funny, actually, because Megan, I, I've been forcing her to read the the series because it's so important to me. And, and so I've sort of shoved them on her. And she's been she's in his uh, subtle knife right now. And she's been texting me kind of throughout reading it, just different quotes uh, about Lyra. And she just will always say, like, this is this is you. Like, I don't know what came first, <laughs> you or the book, but this is so who, who you are. Um, and so I, I like I really relate to Lyra um, and I just love Will so much and just like want to protect him and have him be happy. And we just... None of the little mini books addressed him at all. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, I just need to know he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Phil Pullman, don't let me down. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you arrived, we we immediately were like, Slytherin. Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how, how when did you get into the, the Harry, Potter, Harry Potter series? Um, so I was a, a very early adopter because I have an older sister who's three years older than me. And she's actually the one who taught me how to read um, before I even got to like kindergarten, first grade. And uh, she has always been super into to fantasy and all that kind of stuff as I have. And she got the book the year it came out from our grandparents who had this like local bookstore that was always recommending amazing stuff for, for kids. And I have such like a vivid memory of bringing the first book to first grade. And, you know, it's kind of got that like, uh, the, the art in the cover is now mm-hmm. so um, prolific, but at the time it was sort of goofy looking, I guess. Because right. I, I remember, distinctly remember kids in my class kind of like making fun of, of me for having the book. <laughs> they were like, that looks dumb. And I was like, no, it's really good. And I'm just, I feel so vindicated. <laughs> there was like two obnoxious kids that were like, that looks like a dumb book about a wizard on a broom. And I'm like, but it's good. And so much more little than that. did they know. Um, and so, yeah, my sister read it first and then kind of passed it down to me. And so I was probably like seven or eight when I first read the book. And I think it was one of those things where it's like she would kind of help me along with it and stuff um, because it was a little bit above probably my reading level at the time. Um, and then uh, we were so obsessed with the first book that we had. My uh, uncle lives in England. And so we had him go to his bookstore and get the second and third book, which were already out mm-hmm. in England, but not published in America yet. And he sent them over to us. So we actually have like the first editions of the British copies wow. of those two books, which is really cool. Um, and then starting with the fourth book, 
by the time the fourth book came out, um, it was being published, you know, simultaneously everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. They were doing the midnight releases. So from the fourth book all the way through, um, we did the midnight releases dressed up the whole thing. Um, and yeah, and I just, it, uh, it was such a fun thing to be our age during, right? Cause it's, cause I ended the series at 17. And so I was, you know, exactly Harry's age when it ended, which mm -hmm. was so much fun. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just, it's, it's, it was such a huge part of my childhood. Yeah. Um, so I actually didn't get started on the series until I was like 19. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I way <laughs> beyond when, when they yeah. were coming out, I think once I started reading them, the sixth book had just come out. Okay. And um, everyone, um, I did a thing called Drum Corps. I don't know if you know what that oh, is. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, we were on tour, and the book was coming out, the sixth book. And so everyone was excited. They all got it or whatever. And everyone's reading these books. And I was like, what the heck are you guys reading? Like, I remember <laughs> uh, in middle school, one of my science teachers had the first and the second book in his room. Mm -hmm. And he was always, like, trying to push people to read them. And nobody ever wanted oh, to read no. them. And I remember seeing them, too, thinking the same thing. Like, what is that? <laughs> and so, you know, eventually, 19 years old, I picked them up and I was just like, I could not stop. I read like four books within like three months or something and I just could not stop. It is crazy how readable they are. Yeah. Like I, you know, I definitely had this, you, you know, sometimes you go back and you revisit books that you read when you were a kid and you're like, oh, okay. It wasn't <laughs> as good as I, I remembered it being. Um, and I would always, you know, sort of reread the last book before the new one came out because there were these long waits in between each yeah. book. Um, and then before each movie came out, I would reread that book to kind of, you know, compare and contrast. So I've read all of the books like four or five times. Um, and before the final movie came out, before the eighth movie came out, I was in college and I was home for the summer and like working this internship. And my parents uh, were away for the weekend. And so I just sort of had, and it was a four day weekend. So I didn't have my internship. So I just had four days at home with like kind of nothing to do. And the movie was coming out in a month. And I was like, you know what? I have a month. I'm going to, I'm going to reread the whole series. Cause I've never done the whole series kind of in one chunk uh -huh. um, because I've been reading it so gradually and a month should be enough time. By the end of that four-day weekend, I was done. <laughs> oh my god! I could not put them down. Wow, it was crazy. And this is like my you third didn't or sleep. fourth. I didn't do anything but read these books. Like I would be like at the stove, like cooking myself dinner with a book in my hand. You know, I couldn't put them down. I didn't talk to anybody, and it was honestly like one of the best weekends I had over that summer. And it like it was just amazing to me how much. I was still engaged with it, even though I knew some of these passages so well, you know, because my sister loved listening to them um, on book on tape. She still does when mm -hmm. she falls asleep sometimes. And so whenever we would be like on family vacations, she would always be playing it. Um, and I still was so, so engaged. And when I got to the part in the sixth book, when spoiler alert, but like, come on, <laughs> um, when Dumbledore dies, uh -huh. I was sobbing. And I was like, Lauren, like you've read this book three times. Like, how are you still <laughs> being this emotional of this thing you know happens? Uh -huh. um, but that, I think that's just a credit to J.K. Rowling's writing. You know, right. it's, just, it's just that good. Yeah, no, yeah. it is. I, I I love this series. It's so good. It's so um, good. Going back to audiobooks, um, did you ever listen to the um, the 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 Golden Compass series on audio? I didn't because actually. they have like voice actors doing them. I've heard that that if they do it like a kind of a radio play. Yeah, yeah. Um, I recently re-listened to the first one okay. and I loved it. So if you ever want to do that, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I check out. It's funny. That. I'm actually not a big audiobook person. Really? Um, for fiction, at least, I like listening to nonfiction audiobooks. Mm. But I'm a very, very um, fast reader, which is sometimes not a good thing because then I sort of miss the the, the beauty of the writing. Um, but I do like to to actually process the words. Um, you know, I feel the same and, yeah. way because 
I am mostly like you know nonfiction. I'll do on audiobooks and mm-hmm. then fiction because I want to like read it in my own voice and like exactly. I want to interpret the characters because the, then it just kind of like takes something away from me. But yeah. I think because I had already read The Golden Compass, I was like, I'm gonna just listen to the audio audiobook, and it was great. I loved it. Okay, that's really good to know. I'll definitely check that. <laughs> yeah, out. check it out. Yeah. Um. So one of the things I wanted to ask you was, okay, so you have this series, The Bright Sessions, um, which we'll we'll talk about in a little bit. But I wanted to know like how informative was like fantasy for you, like when you're, mm. you're you've talked about all these fantasy things already and how much you love them was that like always just like part of your life totally yeah um I mean Harry Potter was I I think sort of the the first time that I got into um probably one of the first fantasy books that I read that was sort of the kicked off a lot of it but really the biggest thing was a series called The Lost Years of Merlin by T.A. Barron Mm -hmm. um which are these five books uh that have Merlin as like the young man and his name is Emerus. He's, he's Welsh. He, and he has this like terrible accident when he's younger that makes him go blind. And there's this storm and he ends up sort of being um, cast out at sea and landing in this magical land in Kyra. And it's sort of about Merlin um, discovering his own powers and kind of finding his second sight and, and finding, um, you know, sort of the, the crystal cave and all the kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's like, I guess, like a sort of a Merlin prequel. And that was something that my parents picked up in a bookstore when I was really, really young. We actually went to a signing. Um, so my first copy is um, signed by T.A. Barron to me and my sister. But th- like, I have no memory of this. So this must have been when I was like three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so the, I don't know when I first read those books, really. I think that they were sort of at the same time as Harry Potter. But I do remember that reading the, the fifth book, um, which is called The Wings of Merlin, was the first time that I ever cried at a book. Mm. And I think I was maybe 10 or 11 years old. And I just remember so vividly, I was sitting in bed and a character died and I was crying. And, I, and that was just such a revelation to me, the fact that I could have that strong reaction to a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this day, I cry much more easily at books than I do at TV <laughs> or film. It's really interesting because I know like a lot of people don't necessarily cry at books, but that just gets me. So those were really, really formative, the, the T.A. Barron books. And then I also ended up reading, you know, kind of everything that he had published. Um, and that led me into just sort of fantasy at large. And so basically, if there was a fantasy novel published between like 1993 and 2002, I probably read it. Um, because I would go after school, like go into our local bookshop and just go to the fantasy section, which was like three shelves. It wasn't very big, but they would always have new releases. Mm -hmm. And so I would just go and pick up whatever was new that looked good. And, um, that definitely, that was all of the stuff that I was writing when I was a kid, you know, all the sort of the short stories and unfinished novels were all fantasy novels. Um, and I don't necessarily read a ton of fantasy now. I've sort of moved over into, I think, more magical realism. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's been hugely formative for me. Yeah. Um, what, so what are you now reading um, in the magical realism? I might, one of my favorite authors is David Mitchell. Um, so he, he's most famous with for uh, Cloud Atlas. Oh, okay, um, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. So which was turned into a film by the Wachowski sisters. Um, and the film is interesting. Interesting. <laughs> um, I liked it, but I definitely was watching it, thinking to myself, if I hadn't read this book, I would have no idea what's going on. Mm. It is a it is an interesting book. And what's what's fascinating about David Mitchell, he's written about I think nine novels, um, and like one very short novel, and they all they're not in sequence necessarily. They're not a series, but they all take place in the same universe. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. And the way, the ways in which certain characters cross over or like certain, it's very hard to explain, but basically like um, 
it's it's a world much like ours. It's kind of like a Philip Pullman thing where mm-hmm. it's like everything is familiar. Um, but then there's just these like weird little quirks to it sometimes. So it's there's um, the first one I read of, of his was The Thousand Autumns of Jakob de Zoot. And it's sort of this 17th century or 18th century um, Dutch uh, traders coming to Japan and kind of the the relationships between those two populations. And it's David Mitchell was a historian for a long time. So it's like very like, you know, sort of rich um, painting of that time period in that place. And and it takes this really wacky, weird turn uh, kind of three quarters of the way through with these Japanese monks and kind mm. of this ritual that they're doing that's really weird. Um, and there's a character in that that shows up in Cloud Atlas. And, it, and it's sort of, he's got this crossover that's all about the soul, right? It's all about sort of like the soul and reincarnation. And then The Bone Clocks, which is his most recent kind of major novel. There was a short novel that followed after that called Slade House. Bone Clocks is sort of probably the most magical of all of them. That's sort of this like magical battle. It's a, I, I, I've only seen half of this movie and haven't read any of the comic books, but based off the half of the movie that I saw, the thing that I can compare it closest to is probably like Doctor Strange. Okay. Of like, you know, like cutting into <laughs> the air to move into another space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really interesting stuff. It's not for everybody. Um, it's very dense and very weird. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, I can't get enough of it. This question popped into my head. Um when you're either reading, watching, doing whatever, when you're uh, taking in entertainment, how engulfed are you into whatever it is? Because like mm-hmm. with me, I, I I find it interesting that like when I'm watching a movie that a lot of people will be like, that's that was an awful movie. It was that sucked, blah, 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 whatever. But then like what I tend to do is like try to put myself in that environment whenever I'm like watching a movie, reading a book or whatever. Like I like to put myself in that world so that everything that happens is believable even mm. when it's not necessarily like, <laughs> there are some things that are like really stand out and we're like, what? Yeah. But like, I, I end up like experiencing it like in a different way than I think than a lot of people do because a lot of people are so critical. <laughs> yeah. Um, like how, how do you approach, you know, stuff that you're watching or reading? I definitely find it easier to immerse myself in books, I think, mm-hmm. uh, just because that was sort of the the dominant media that I was consuming when I was a kid. And so my brain just sort of, because my imagination, I think, was so actively engaged in books growing up that my my brain just connects to that a little bit easier. Whereas sometimes I think with TV and film, particularly like working in Hollywood, um, sometimes my critical brain sort of <laughs> takes over, particularly with, um, you know, representation things. Like, mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a really hard time watching some things because of the female characters. And it's not even like the female characters are like, you know, actively bad. But just if there's not a woman there who's, a full person like I just have a hard time caring Mm -hmm. um I would much rather watch something that's like like for instance that you know sort of two movies that were like talked about massively last Oscar season were Manchester by the Sea and Moonlight Mm -hmm. and Manchester by the Sea and Moonlight both were like you know male stories right and they kind of like centered around like this relationship between two men and it's you know Manchester by the Sea it's it's like um Casey Affleck and his nephew and then in Moonlight it's these well it's this one man's relationship sort of with this one other guy over the course of time and like I'm happy to watch male stories you know because there's like so much to talk about with that there's lots of valid storytelling in there the women in Manchester by the Sea really turned me off of that movie because every time a woman was on screen with the exception of that one amazing speech that Michelle Williams gives she was just the nagging wife Right. All of them. Whereas in Moonlight, there's 
basically two women and it's the mother and uh, Janelle Monae's character and they're not in it very much but when they are they felt like people mm -hmm. and outside of the one speech that Michelle Williams gave none of the women in Manchester by the Sea felt like people mm. and so I had a much much harder time connecting with that movie and because of sort of that like critical brain of of like okay well what is Hollywood doing about representation um but that being said I I think TV I I definitely put myself into those worlds a lot more it's a lot easier for me to to do that with television because it's you can really get invested in the characters and in the world that's being built mm -hmm. um and same thing with podcasts you know I think having I think with both podcasts and and books having less of the story given to me you know of like there's no visual element so I kind of have to imagine it myself mm -hmm. um engages me in a way that's easier for me to immerse myself in rather than just sort of like sitting back and letting the thing happen if that makes sense yeah no it does um I've been trying recently to to be way more engaged in what's happening in the story and like mm. paying attention to the characters and and what drives them and stuff like that um and yeah, you're absolutely right about about you know the 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 two movies that you just compared. Um, it, and what I want to say about your show is you definitely have the the <laughs> diversity in there, and it sounds like that was very important to you. Did you feel like I guess when, no, we'll talk about your show. Uh, did you feel like when you were writing the show that that was something you were aiming for, or is it something that you felt like you just did naturally? Um, well, first of all, thank you. I mean, it is something that I, I'm always trying to be better about. And obviously like the, the major kind of hole in our diversity is racial diversity, particularly because it isn't a visual show. Mm -hmm. Um, and we only have one sort of confirmed canonical race because I wanted to leave it open for listeners to interpret and to imagine what they wanted to imagine you know I because I think one of the beautiful things about the podcast medium and seeing this you know in fan art of welcome to night Vale and these other shows is that the listener can imagine exactly who they want to imagine mm -hmm. and, and sort of particularly in the beginning it's kind of impossible to do now because everybody knows who the actors are but in the beginning I try not to post any photos of the actors anywhere so that people really could just imagine what they wanted um and I think that that's you know there's Good and bad things to that right it's given me a lot of freedom in terms of casting i cast on voice rather than appearance you know so we have people who are related to each other that could not physically be related to each other but their voices match in a, in a really wonderful way mm -hmm. um and also just they're great actors that i like to work with um but it also the downside is that we don't really have any kind of like racial diversity stories which is something that i definitely am like conscious of and wanting to sort of change in the future and and approach with a little bit more like consciousness um, but definitely with, um, like the queer representation that sort of just happened. That wasn't necessarily a conscious choice. Um, I just sort of reflected, you know, my own sexuality and then the sexuality of the people in my life. And it turned into what it turned into definitely with the, um, the main characters being female. That was absolutely a conscious choice. Um, because it, part of the reason I wrote the show to begin with was because I was getting frustrated with the roles that I was going out for as an actor and the mm -hmm. roles that were even available to me, like just seeing, when you're an actor, you get breakdowns in your inbox every day, right? Character breakdowns of things that are being cast. And out of the 200 breakdowns that I would get a day, ranging from, you know, a student short film to like, you know, co-stars on, on network television or what have you, um, to feature films, 90% of them would, the, the female description would begin with a physical description first. The second thing would be a physical description. Jesus. The third thing might be a character description. Wow. That would be it. And that just isn't interesting, you know? Right. Um, and then, you know, I would get these scripts and it would sort of, 
there just wouldn't be anything there. Um, which sometimes, you know, as an actor is like a fun challenge to give somebody a whole story and a whole life when the writer is not giving you anything. Um, but after a while, definitely war on me and, and seeing these amazing female actors in my life who were so, so talented um, and had so much to give and just weren't being given the work um, that they deserved and, that mm-hmm. their, you know, their performances deserved. I, I wanted to write something that A, would pass the Bechdel test on a regular basis <laughs> and B, would be interesting for me and my female friends to dig our teeth into. Um, and now our cast is is sort of half and half uh, men and women. I think it's exactly uh, six six men and six women. Um, but certainly, you know, sort of the, the the brunt of the dialogue is is women and having the lead characters be female, I think. You know, it's I also wanted to tell female like have females in the lead where it wasn't like, you know, a woman's story. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of a lot of female led media. Not to, to you know, the, the creator of the media's fault, but just sort of the way that the consumption of audience that audiences um, have goes is that they get relegated to sort of like, oh, that's a that's a chick show or that's a you know girl show. That's mm-hmm. like that's, you know. Like Gilmore Girls is such a smart, interesting show about family dynamics. That, like, constantly gets relegated to like, oh, that's for chicks. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, it's not. Like, you have a family, presumably. You have parents. <laughs> you might have a complicated relationship with your parents. That's what that show is about. Um, and so, just sort of, I think you know, having some men in there in the beginning, just to be like, look, this isn't just for chicks. Like, this is this is for everybody. But then having all of the women, you know, kind of at the front and center and having them be complicated and flawed and all that kind of stuff um, was something that was really important to me. Yeah. Um, and, and and it really comes across, too. So I'm I'm very happy about that. Thank you. Uh, as a consumer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, when you were first coming up with the idea. Um, so for those who don't know. Uh, the show is about these people going into like therapy sessions mm-hmm. and um, all of the patients basically have an ability like a, you know, supernatural ability or, yeah. you know, however you want to call it. Um, how like from the beginning when you were writing the story, was that always part of it? Like ha- having these people with powers is was that like your upbringing informative to that? Totally. Because it, at first, I, I mean, from what you've talked about, it seems like everything was like fantasy for you, kind of mm-hmm. like magic and stuff. But then this almost seems more like scientific. Yeah, I definitely got into sci-fi, I think, in you know high school and college. Um, because I, I think fantasy inevitably sort of brings you there, or sci-fi inevitably brings you to fantasy if you're just kind of open to... I, I love the term speculative fiction, and I wish that we kind of used that more. Um, because... I think that fantasy, magical realism, and sci-fi can all fall under that of like, mm-hmm. what if? You know, what if magic were real? What if we lived in space? Um, and I think the gap, sort of the, the thing that bridged the gap for me was um, Joss Whedon's shows. Um, so, you know, I started with Angel and then moved on to Firefly and then to Buffy. And, you know, you... yeah, I watched Angel first and then watched <laughs> Buffy. I know, I know, I know. I know. It's weird. Um, I don't know. I don't really understand how that happens, but... I saw like the first uh, couple episodes because my sister and her friend were super into it. Um, and I, so I caught like a couple episodes here and a couple episodes there um, of Buffy and of Angel. And I think I just thought Dave Brianna's was cute and so decided to watch Angel. <laughs> uh, that honestly may have been the whole uh-huh. reasoning behind it. Um, and then got to Buffy into college and, and loved that show. Um, because those are, you know, sort of fantasy element shows, right? Mm-hmm. They have the vampires and the creatures of war and all that and all that stuff um, and magic. 
And um, then, you know, that led me to Firefly because I was just wanting to watch what else Joss Whedon had done and to Dollhouse, which was on at the time. Um, and then I got super, super into the X-Files. Um, and that was probably the first show that I, like, binge watched. And I did it through Netflix DVDs. Um, where, you know, it's like you get two DVDs at a time. They each have four episodes on them. And it's just like just like getting this cycle out where it's like I'd finish one DVD and put it right in the mail so the next one would come. Um, and I just, I loved, loved, loved that show. Um, but yeah, I think anything for me, and then Battlestar Galactica was another really big one. And I think sort of the thing that Battlestar Galactica does so, so well that sort of nails exactly what it is that I love about sci-fi is that you're taking people... We're just like you and I, and that you're putting them in an extraordinary situation, whether it's this, you know, superpowers are real or magic is real, or you live in space and your earth just got destroyed and you have to figure out how to live in space. Um, and just sees how normal human beings react to those scenarios. And so I think Battlestar Galactica did that really, really well, where it had these extraordinary circumstances and the Cylons and, and you know, living in space and all of that kind of stuff. And then a whole bunch of other weird stuff towards the end. I don't still really understand. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, it's about the relationships between these characters. And it's about their motivations. And it's about what they want out of life. And you're just really able to zero in on those things in a science fiction world because you can put people in very clear-cut, extraordinary circumstances in a way that you can't necessarily with just our reality. Um, so I think that that's, to me, what's really interesting about science fiction and for the Bright Sessions, it definitely came from this idea of, of um, Sam Barnes, who's the character that I play in it, and she time travels when she has panic attacks. Um, and I'm a person who has panic attacks and was kind of thinking like, oh, well, what if, you know, what if somebody had an anxiety disorder and was kind of, you know, an agoraphobe and kind of a shut-in, and but they were traveling outside of their reality. And initially, the concept for Sam was that she was traveling into the the worlds of the books that she was reading, because that's obviously something that I have dreamt about many mm -hmm. times. Um, and that was just far too complicated of a premise for something, because you have to assume that the people have read the books, and then you have to be able to mimic the author's style, and copyright is a thing. So yeah. um, I, I kind of pivoted away from that, and I was like, oh, well, maybe she's just time traveling. Um, and sort of the, the the bad side of time traveling. I'm like, okay, well, if this is somebody who's already isolated and already anxious about being in the world, time traveling would be terrible. I mean, that would just make everything so much worse. Um, and initially it was just going to be kind of her story of, of figuring out how to be a person in, the, in her reality by traveling to these other realities. Um, and then I realized that I did not want to tell a story that was entirely centered around me talking into a microphone because that sounded so boring to listen to and for me to edit. And so I was like, all right, I got to give her somebody to talk to. And that's when the idea of the therapist eventually came forward. And then, it, then kind of the whole world spiraled from there. I was like, well, maybe the therapist patients all have abilities. And what would that look like? And God, mind reading would be such a terrible power to actually have in real life. That could be fun to explore. Um, so I think just consuming all of this stuff about, you know, superheroes and, and chosen ones and people who have powers that oftentimes that's the source of these people's strengths in, mm -hmm. in a lot of media and sort of having that be the source of their weaknesses, I thought was just an interesting idea to explore. Yeah, no, I really like the way that everyone's powers kind of come into play. Um, when you're talking about kind of like their, their weaknesses, mm -hmm. um, where you have the mind reader who who is, you know, in a session or, you know, just around people and she's constantly like replying to them, even though they're not saying anything. She's, yeah. and, and it's just like <laughs> quick too. She's like, oh, but you feel this way. Oh, wait, but then you're, wait, huh? Wait, why are you feeling that? Oh, because, it, and it's like, 
to to the listener, they're like, what is happening? Like, yeah. what is actually happening? And she has to like slow down and be like, oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Let me let you reply. And and that's like stuff like that that happens is so interesting and so fascinating. And I love it. And I love that in the beginning, you guys had it so that it was always recorded on tape. Mm-hmm. And we were listening to the doctor's tapes. And then eventually you kind of like shied away from that. And then yeah. it's no longer about these tapes anymore. Not at all. No. <laughs> so um, when when did you guys decide to do that? Or like, why did you decide to do it that way? Um, so a big piece of it was that up until episode 17, I was doing everything on the production side. So I was, you know, writing, recording, um, editing, you know, doing all the sound effects and whatnot. And it's like, I am not a sound designer. So I needed to have something that was very limited in scope um, because it had to fit into my own abilities um, as a sound designer who was learning on the job. And then um, my sound designer, Michelle Stanton, came on board and their abilities, they are a professional sound designer. That's the doing sound effects and sound design for podcasts, is what they do full time. Um, and that kind of opened up the sandbox a little bit in a way that was really exciting. And so it, it really started with our season two finale, which is kind of like a, a heist jailbreak episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that even that I sort of, there's reasons why you're hearing everything. You know, it's like those things are explained away, but I just got such a taste for getting out of the therapy room and kind of just getting into these spaces. Then I thought, okay, well, maybe we can start to push this a little bit more. Um, but the biggest thing was that I didn't want to lose the intimacy of the show because listening in on therapy sessions is such an intimate thing. Um, and being a fly on the wall. But I wanted to to get into these people's lives a little bit more. Um, and particularly as we break down the wall between Dr. Bright and her patients and between Dr. Bright and the audience, um, and we learn more about her, it becomes limiting to have everything be in the therapy setting because we're not going to learn anything about Dr. Bright through that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also eventually, like, none of the people are her patients anymore. Right. Um, and so... It was really just, it was, it was just finding that there were stories and conversations that I wanted to be telling that I couldn't tell through explaining away, you know, why you're hearing this. And then it was just a matter of gradually transitioning out of that. Um, And technically, up through the end of season three, up through episode 40, there is a reason why you're hearing everything. Um, Because in episode 39 and 40 they're at Sam's house but she wired her entire house because she's an insane paranoid person (laughs) um but the only thing that isn't explained is the one scene that takes place between Mark and Caleb outside that doesn't have a reason for being recorded because it's not like she's recording devices on her porch um and this season we are completely doing away with that yeah Um, but it felt seamless which I like okay yes I wanted it to be really gradual and it's it's not one of those things where it's like we do have a couple of, of scenes this season um, that are sort of multiple people in a room and, and there's no reason why you'd be hearing it recorded. But for the most part, it is still sort of t- two people in a room having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Like kind of keeping that DNA was really important for me. Um, but for our 50th episode, which comes out in March, we're doing something very cool and different, or what I hope it's going to be cool, um, that like just has, you just have to completely suspend, suspend disbelief for why you'd be hearing it. Um, but yeah, I uh, it's been really rewarding to be able to do that. And that's entirely because my sound designer is amazing. And, and they are good enough that I can sort of 
come to them and say, hey, I want to do this thing and with this number of people and we still need to record it in my bedroom because we don't have a budget for a studio. <laughs> Can you make that happen? And they say yes, because they're awesome. <laughs> nice. Um, one of the things that I really, really like uh, about the most recent episodes is that we really get to see the dynamic between Dr. Bright and her patients changing mm-hmm. um, from just, you know, patient doctor to now friend. Um, yeah. And one of the, I think it might have been the last episode with Caleb and yeah. her uh, having a conversation and them kind of going back and forth between that relationship. I I really enjoyed that because he comes in trying to like talk to a friend, but then she's starts treating him like a patient, and then yeah. and then he's and then they kind of like both decide we can't be patient anymore. But then it kind of reverts back. Yeah, like <laughs> what? How? <laughs> like, how, how, how easy does that come to you? Because that, that seems like such a crazy thing. That dynamic, I've been so happy about the response to that episode because people have really, it's resonated with a lot of people. Um, I think because it is one of those relatable things that we don't really talk about that often of that transition. Because, you know, if you take away the doctor-patient thing entirely, you still have this relationship between this 32-year-old woman and the 17-year-old boy. And, you know, people you know, on Tumblr and Twitter and stuff will joke about how, like, Dr. Bright's sort of, you know, Caleb's aunt or, like, his second mom. Because mm-hmm. they do have this very familial relationship, even when they are doctor and patient. Um, but, you know, Caleb is almost 18. He's becoming an adult, and he's gone through all this stuff that's really, really hard. Um, and he's also, you know, grown a lot emotionally through therapy. Um, and I think that something that I definitely experienced that I've only really been able to reflect on in like the past couple of years is that transition from a sort of child to adult. And we all are familiar, all of us adults are familiar with that transition and kind of how rocky it can be and how different it can be. But I think the weirdest thing about it is the, at least for me, was the way that my relationship to the adults in my life changed. Like there was this odd transition in my late teens, early 20s, where all of a sudden my parents, my aunts and uncles, my, you know, teachers and mentors weren't grownups anymore, you know, where they were peers. And it's like they, they still have a degree of authority, you know, over me and you sort of respect your elders and all that kind of stuff. But there's a point where all of a sudden you're able to talk to your parents and to the adults in your life like human beings. And, you know, it's obviously still going to be a very different relationship than what you have to your friends or to your siblings. But there is a change there. And that's just not something that we talk about very much. Mm-hmm. Or, But I think that it's something that a lot of us experience and something I've talked to friends about. And they're like, yeah, that does sort of happen where just something just changes, something just shifts. You don't sit down with your parents and have the conversation of like, okay, well now we're all adults. So we can talk about these three things. Right. No, it's like there's a degree of sort of, I think of, of honesty and of, um, you know, sort of sharing your opinions and your worldview where you're not, you're no longer either just agreeing or just rebelling against the adult's worldview. You're mm-hmm. sort of saying like, okay, well, based off of everything I've experienced, everything you've experienced, these are our two worldviews and let's see how those interact. And so that's what I was trying to represent with Caleb and Dr. Bright of sort of like, this is still a person in his life who's nurturing and who he looks up to and who wants to protect him. But he's really starting to see her as her, her own human person, right? And she's sort of starting to see him as an adult. And that's a really awkward thing to navigate. And it's really, really hard because you do fall back into those patterns. You know, mm-hmm. you kind of start to play those roles again. Um, and so it's just been really fun to, to see the various response because some people have, yeah, compared it to like sort of, uh, parent relationships or aunt and uncle relationships. And I've also seen from teachers sort of saying like, 
this is like when, you know, your favorite student comes back and, and visits you after college and it's kind of weird and it's like, you're proud of them, but you don't really know how to talk to them anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's just, it's a, it was really, really fun to write. And also I think, you know, Brigham and Julia have been acting opposite each other for four years. I've been watching them do, do it because uh, we all met in class um, and playing these roles for, you know, two and a half years um, that sort of starting, it was easier for me to, to get that transition right or I hope I got it right because I just wrote more towards bringing in Julia's actual dynamic because you know they are peers um and they are close in age and so um just kind of letting their real relationship influence that a little bit more made it easier for me as the writer yeah what I liked about it was that I mean you talked about going from child to adult and the relationship with your parents changing and stuff and I think like, I don't know what your experience was, but definitely for me, um, becoming an adult, I think, was harder on my dad than it was mm. on me. And it's probably that way for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, because even even though, like, now I'm in my 30s, my dad still will treat me like I'm his, like, a child. Like, not, yeah. not an adult living his own life, living alone and, like, you know, doing his own thing, having a job and paying bills and stuff. He still treats me as a child. And what what I liked between the dynamic of Dr. Bright and Caleb was that... You can tell that she wants to be a, more nurturing towards him, mm -hmm. but she put, she like checks herself and yes. she she kind of like backs off from that. And and I really like it because he kind of invites her to do that too. Mm -hmm. Like he 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 wants to be closer to her and 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 she wants to be closer to him, but she's like I'm the adult in this situation and it, and it's just so fascinating to listen to. Thanks. I really really like that. <laughs> Um, one of the things, the other things that I want to talk about was the season finale for the last season, yeah. which you put a trigger warning ahead mm -hmm. of, uh, mm -hmm. in the beginning of the episode. And I didn't know what that <laughs> really was going to entail, but, um, okay. So it felt very personal to me because mm -hmm. there is that moment between Adam and Caleb mm -hmm. where they're in the bedroom and sorry, spoilers, but they're, <laughs> they're, they're in the, they're in the bedroom and they're talking about, um, basically what Adam was going through, uh, you know, growing up and, 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 you know, self-harm and, you know, cutting yeah. himself and basically all that stuff. And it, it just like touched me on a whole different level than all the other episodes have, because that's something that I went through as a child, um, you know, growing up and cutting myself, not wanting to like necessarily die or anything like that. But it was just like this thing that like, you have these emotions, um, you're going through depression or stress or whatever it is. And this is like a weird outlet to, mm -hmm. to, to handle that because for a moment, you're not feeling that stuff. You're feeling this other thing. Yeah. And, and you talked about it and I've never really heard other like shows or anything really talk about that specifically. And so like, cut to me sitting at my desk at work, listening to this episode with tears oh, streaming no, down I'm my so face. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like, where did that come from for you, like, to write something like that in there? So it's, it's interesting because that scene is always the scene that people call out in that episode because I, I think it really did resonate with a lot of people. Um, whether or not, you know, they have a history of self-harm, I think that there is stuff in there that everybody can relate to feeling that kind of way when they're a teenager, you know? And, and that scene was actually the very first scene that was written in the finale. And it was written probably six months before the rest of the finale was written. Um, Cause I knew that that was a conversation that I wanted Caleb and Adam to have. Um, because yeah, I've, I've also, you know, I've, I've struggled with uh, feelings of 
anger and like and and Caleb gets a lot of his rage rage issues from me. Um, I have a lot of of pent up rage, and then also of like sort of that that unique kind of self-loathing that Adam describes, right? Of like, I don't want to die and I don't necessarily want to cause myself pain, but there's something in me that I don't like that I want to get out. Um, and there's something, it's it's almost like that sort of like, that itchiness of like not wanting to be in your own skin and not wanting to be in your own body. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's something I've experienced a, a lot. Um, and you know, oftentimes a thing that will trigger a panic attack of sort of that, that feeling of like, oh, there's, I need to not be in this. I need to not just be here. Um, and so them having that conversation and kind of talking about this, the kind of, of violence that you do to yourself, whether it's violence physically against yourself or just in the way that you, you think and like negative self-talk, which is another thing I've struggled a lot with, or whether it's in Caleb's case, taking violence out on something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and how both of those things come from a place of of sadness, really. I think that that's, that's ultimately, and of fear. Um, that's ultimately what's at the heart of, of both of those behaviors. Um, and then I think the other thing for that was, was not having a conclusion. Like there's no kind of neat bow that's like, okay, well, but now we know this about each other and it's fixed, right? <laughs> you know, or like, or, you know, I'm doing totally better now and everything's fine. It's like, no, like this is something that if you struggle with it, it's always going to be a struggle and they have each other and they can lean on each other, but it also is scary, you know? And, um, I also, I think particularly that conversation, you know, I, I knew at that point, um, when I was writing that episode, I was like, okay, well, that was, I guess, the beginning of season three. So Caleb and Adam have kind of broken up and then they get back together. And I was like, okay, I know they're going to be in like a very good spot in their relationship at this time when they have this conversation. So that's another element, right? Of like when you're very, very close with someone and the relationship's going really well, but that doesn't mean they know everything about you. Um, And that doesn't mean that there's still not stuff that you're going to have to work out and still not stuff that is going to be frightening to learn about that person but then you know how do you how do you handle that you know how do you approach that with compassion and love versus like oh well this isn't what I signed up for so bye Mm -hmm. um yeah I don't know it just came from a lot of a lot of different stuff and it was one of those things where um you know Adam is a character that's sort of on the fringes the the whole time um and ends up being ended up being much more of a character in the show than he initially was supposed to be mm-hmm. um, because of the the chemistry that Alex and Brigham have, the directors that play them, because of the sort of sort of soft nerdiness that, that Alex brings to the role that I really, really love. Um, and also Adam, in the, in the way that like Sam is influenced by who I am now, Adam is absolutely who I was at 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he just sort of kind of like kept, tapping me on the shoulder, sort of in my, in my head being like, I, I have stuff to say. I have stuff to say. Keep hitting me in the show more. <laughs> um, and this was just one of those conversations where he's like, I have stuff to say. <laughs> Let me say it. Um, so I just sort of wrote it, not knowing exactly how it was going to fit in. I knew the confrontation with Caleb and, and Damien was going to happen at the, at the end of the season. Um, and just sort of, yeah, then framing it in that in that conversation about sort of like violence and, and, and um, guilt and self-loathing. Uh, but yeah, it was really just Adam wanting to, wanting to say something. Yeah. And what I really like is the, that you don't make everything so beautiful. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) like the relationships that, that are on, on the, on the show, like not everything is perfect and and nothing ever is. (laughs) Right. And, 
and, and that goes to like the relationship between Sam and um, I'm blanking on his name. Mark. Mark. Yes. Yeah. Sam and Mark, you know, they have like these two characters met at a time period, not their own. Yeah. <laughs> and, and um, you know, they spent all this time together getting to know each other, getting to like, I guess, fall in love with each other. Mm-hmm. And then once they're actually in person, able to kind of have a physical relationship at this point, things aren't as perfect as you know they would have imagined that they would have been and it kind of like equates to like the whole online dating thing mm. um which, i never thought about that yeah That's yeah so interesting. <laughs> because like when i when i thought about it initially was the whole online dating thing where you're like yeah. meeting someone online and you're like talking to them for a really long time and then you're like okay this person's great we're gonna meet in person and then you're like oh <laughs> this is this weird is and we need to like yeah like this is very different and how do we navigate this now but like with them obviously like there are so many other circumstances at play yeah and i like that they're still like you know very much in it with each other but there's like you know sam struggling with how does mark feel about damien and Mm -hmm. like what happened between them that is like causing this kind of rift that is it is it sam doing it to herself or is it actually something there that that is you know causing tension and it's just like yeah, the question for the ages. Um, and I, what's amazing is that like I don't, I don't have a clear answer for that at all. And that's okay um, because because like the the Mark Damien dynamics. Like I knew that I knew that Mark was bisexual from from the beginning, but I, I mean, Damien is a whole other, you know, bag of of crazed cats when it comes to his sort of the way he relates to romantic or sexual relationships and, and how what, the roles that those things have played in his life. Um, and that's not something that we've, we've ever dug into or will ever dig into um, in the podcast probably. Um, so I didn't, when I sort of put them together in the circumstance that they were put together in, that didn't occur to me as like a possibility that they, that something that Mark could potentially have some feelings about Damien. Um, but then I got Andrew and, and Charlie in the room together and I was like, Oh, okay. Well, this is, they have amazing chemistry. This is something, there's something here. I um, mean, that was one, just one of those things that sort of wrote itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's partly because the way that Charlie approaches Damien is that he just has chemistry with everyone. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and also, you know, Andrew and Charlie are, are, are good friends and they get along and they're both really great actors. And so they're just sort of a, was a spark there. Um, but it's something that's so, I mean, talk about imperfect. Like it's just so messy, <laughs> so messed up because you know, can you, can Mark trust any of the feelings that he has, whatever they are, can he trust any of them about, about Damien because of the nature of Damien's ability? Um, but definitely with Sam and Mark, I think that also surprised me a little bit in terms of, I knew things were going to be difficult when they finally got together. Um, but the degree of difficulty I think has surprised me Mm because it is, it is different and it is weird and it's not bad, weird or bad, different. It just is weird and different. And I think the biggest thing is that like Mark has been in a coma for five years or he's been in captivity for five years um, and like has not basically lived as an adult as an adult because he was you know captured when he was uh, 22, 23. Um, and then Sam has never had any kind of adult relationship or any relationship at all. So they're both they, they have no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they're both also dealing with, you know, decades of trauma between them um, and just not talking about it because they're both so afraid of mm-hmm. ruining it that they just aren't doing anything about it at all. And they're, I think, you know, it's another thing that people do in relationships is like, oh, I'm going to be the perfect version of myself for this person and right. it's going to be fine because I'll just do that forever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, no, that's not going to work. That's so tiring to try and and be 
be the rock or be the, you know, the perfect version of yourself all the time. It's like sometimes you need to to share your flaws with somebody in order to really deepen the relationship. And that's not something that they've really done yet because they're just trying to function. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's been really interesting to explore this season too. Um, and there, you know, I episode 45, uh, there's sort of a conversation about that. And um, yeah, I that was my, that was the second scene that was written in the finale was this scene between Sam and Mark. Um, and just, uh, you know, another thing in that scene is just when you care about someone and you just sort of keep saying all the wrong things and you're just like, you're just hurting that person without meaning to. Right. You're, you're not, you know, you are just trying to get to the bottom of something, but you're still not, you're still trying to do it in a way that's perfect. And sometimes you just need to like make a mess, you know, because mm-hmm. um, you might end up hurting someone more by trying to do it perfectly. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that you said about uh, the character of Damien, the actor, having the chemistry with everyone. The funny, it's crazy. <laughs> the funny thing about that is that like when he first, comes onto the show mm. you're you know that this guy is like a a, a crazy creep and yeah. <laughs> but like there's still that thing about him that like wants you to get to know him and like yeah. really, he's so intriguing and i really like that about him um yeah it's just it's to me it sounds like you've got to you've kind of put yourself in every single character a yes. little bit of yourself in every single Completely. character <laughs> do you feel like it's been kind of like therapeutic for you it definitely has been it's definitely been a huge catharsis um i think it was really hard at first, definitely, particularly with Sam and, and and acting those scenes too. You know, it's it's it would have been impossible with anybody else but Julia to like act some of those scenes in the first season where she has panic attacks because it's you know, I know how to act that because I've lived that. But then sometimes acting it, you know, sort of creates the symptoms of a panic attack in a way that's really uncomfortable. And so um, having her as sort of like a safe partner and that was really wonderful. Um, but it, it has been it has been cathartic and it certainly. I think that the greatest part of the catharsis is just, you know, admitting that these characters are influenced by me and admitting mm-hmm. that, you know, I have problems with with anxiety and and with rage and all these things and just having a venue in which to talk about them. And it's been, it's kind of terrifying sometimes mm-hmm. to like write something and be like, oh God, like who's gonna, <laughs> who's gonna interpret what from, about me from this, you know? Um, Cause there are some things obviously that are, are just made up and, and don't have anything to do with my personality or, mm-hmm. or things that I've experienced. Um, but I think just, yeah, just creating a forum even for myself to talk about these things with my friends and family has been, has been huge. Um, and there's certainly been some, you know, sort of wish fulfillment, I think also in terms of like, look at this person getting this thing under control that I do not have under control. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like you kind of have like any kind of like weight lifted off of you by writing this story out? I think so. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, the, the weight has shifted somewhat. Mm. I feel less burdened by my own anxiety um, since writing the show because I, I gave a lot of it to Sam and sort of said, okay, like you, this is yours now. You get to carry this. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and then also like writing the show actually did finally prompt me to go to a therapist. And so I've been, I've been seeing a therapist for about 18 months and that absolutely has helped because therapy is great if you find the right therapist. Um, but at the same time, there's it feels like there's a different weight now of now I have a responsibility. You know, I have a responsibility to my audience to always be telling these stories well and to make sure that I am not, I'm just make sure that I'm not messing up. And, you know, the pressure doesn't necessarily come from the audience directly, but I certainly feel a pressure. Um, Just, you know, when you get messages from people saying like, this is really important to me because of this thing, you know, or this piece of representation or this conversation, 
it definitely feels like all of a sudden I've got this like fragile thing in my hands that I could easily crush if I'm not careful. Um, but you know, I just try to approach everything with, with thoughtfulness and empathy and then get it checked by my uh, sister who's a professional psychologist. That's a big piece of it. Um, but yeah, I definitely, it's a different weight now I'd say. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 understand how as a creative person you putting this stuff out there and people are responding to it and and it's affecting them yeah how it could be such a, a weight on you but i uh i would i guess just say as as someone who really enjoys the show you're doing a great job in <laughs> well i never want to stop hearing those things right it's <laughs> yeah. like that's in some ways why i why i do it i think that media can be hugely transformative and ha- can have a huge effect on the way that we feel about things, the way they think about things and the conversations we have in society. Um, so if I'm contributing even a tiny bit positively to that conversation, then I'm happy. Um, but that's why I think, you know, I, I want to make sure that I continue to be responsible about it. And that, that's not to say that I'm never going to not, you know, I'm never going to make a mistake again because I absolutely am going to make mistakes. Um, but just, yeah, I just, I want to, I want to continue getting those messages rather than like, how could you do this kind of message? <laughs> yeah. Um, I just think that the, the, the cool thing about it is that, you know, mental illness has always been kind of like this taboo and, mm-hmm. you know, nowadays it's, it's talked about just a little bit more yeah. and it's, it's not as scary and, and what you're doing, you know, is just great. It's putting it out there and it, I am super, super enjoying it. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. <laughs> is there anything that uh, the audience can look forward to in the in the show that you're able to share or? <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. This upcoming episode, which comes out this Wednesday. Um, oh, boy. I need to make sure I have the final edit <laughs> of that. Um, is a return to form. It is just a straight up therapy episode with uh, our newest patient um, who has only been in the show a couple of times, but who has an ability that we dig into a lot more in this episode, which I'm really excited about because it's a cool ability. Um, and yeah, I like I've said, episode 50, we're doing something really different and unique. And um, that's going to be coming out in March, but you know, we've already sort of started the script for it's done and we've already sort of started uh production on it because it's, it's a bit bigger but that's the thing I'm, I'm looking forward to probably the most out of these first uh sort of 10 episodes um yeah it's uh <laughs> for for you Damien fans out there there's some good stuff coming up um in episode 46 46 and 48 so yeah, keep an eye out for that yeah <laughs> well Lauren Shippen thank you so much for being on my thank show thank you so much for having me this was so much fun Yay. um where can people find you online and find the show yeah people can find me at Lauren Shippen on all social media um Instagram Twitter I'm the Lauren Shippen tumblr.com on tumblr um and then Lauren Shippen.com is my website bright sessions you can go to thebrightsessions.com and find all our social media there. We're at Bright Podcast on Twitter. Um, and you can find us on iTunes. And if you like the show, uh, rate and review us on iTunes because it really does help. I know you hear that from all your podcasts, but it's true. It, it does and help. And also, I like reading your reviews. It makes me very happy. So, yeah, please come say hi to me on social media. Yay. Thank you so much for being on my show. Thanks for having me. Yay. That was Lauren Shippen. Um, it was such a delight to have her on. She is so cool. Like, I hope you guys enjoyed her as much as I did. Like I said, she's, she's so much more well-spoken than I am. Uh, she, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> I'm so self-deprecating. Um, all right. So uh, that's it for this show. Thank you guys so much for listening. I do have a recommendation, which is something that I've been 
really enjoying. Um, I just started watching this last week. Uh, it is The Good Doctor. This is um, an ABC show starring Freddie Highmore. And this show is an adaptation of a show from, I want to say, South Korea? Maybe I could be so wrong about that. But um, basically, it's a show that was already out there. And now America is making it. Um, but it's about this doctor who is on the spectrum and uh, it kind of showing uh, the way people perceive him, the way people treat him in this professional setting. He's a surgeon, a resident surgeon. And um, it's it's very interesting because he's highly intelligent and you know, obviously he's a surgeon, um, but but it, it's just a it's fascinating to see this. And one thing that I was talking to Lauren about uh, in the interview was how uh, mental illness in in media is still sort of taboo, but it, it's coming out a lot more now. Um, I think we were talking about you know the the self um, self inflicted harm uh, self inflicting wounds and stuff um self-harm there you go and uh and how i hadn't seen anything really like that myself and that her podcast is the first time that i really experienced something like that which is something that i went through as a kid as i already mentioned in the show um but uh so so what i'm really happy about is that we are talking about mental health now in in media and it's not being portrayed as a bad thing. Um, I mean, obviously there are still things out there that, that do portray it as a bad thing, but right now, um, there's a lot more stuff coming out that is, uh, uh, shedding a light on it. And, and, um, it's not looked at as such a horrible thing anymore. Not every, every person who has mental health issues is an evil person anymore. And, and that's really great. I, I really enjoy that. Anyway, the show is very fascinating the way they do things, the way they show him thinking about uh, medical medical procedures or thinking about the human body. And, you know, when he's treating a patient, he's looking at every single angle, um, you know, of, of what their symptoms can mean. And, and, and so they, they show little like uh, images of textbooks and stuff that he's in his head referencing. And it's, it's really fascinating um, him as a character is super fascinating. Um, anyway, I am kind of obsessed with the show. I am really loving it. Adam, Adam and I are watching it together and, um, we have so many shows right now that we watch that it's ridiculous. It's a good thing and an awful thing. Um, but, but that's what I'm recommending this week. Uh, so check that out if you are at all interested, the good doctor, um, and that's it. That's it for the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, all of Lauren Shippen's information will be in the show notes. Remember, if you guys have any comments that you want to share, any questions, anything like that, you can go to the website, interview a nerd. Sorry, interview with a nerd. Oh, boy. Um, remember how I couldn't remember the website in the past? Well, you know, change the name of the show, change the website, and, <laughs> and that's going to be even harder for me. Um, interview with a nerd is the website. Our Twitter handle is interview a nerd. And that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Remember to subscribe if you haven't done so already. Also, rate and review. Remember what Lauren Shippen said. It does help us. <laughs> so rate and review the show if you if it please you. Um, that's it. That's it. I'm, I'm done talking. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, remember to uh, 
Stay lovely, be kind to one another, and I will see you, talk to you on the next one. Bye.